0: I invite you to turn open your copy of God's Word to uh, the Gospel according to John, Chapter Twenty. Gospel of John, Chapter Twenty. John, Chapter Twenty. Beginning of verse 1, let's hear God's word. It says, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, that is John, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out, and the other disciple, He saw and believed for as yet they did not understand the scripture that they must, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb and she saw two angels in white sitting there where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they've laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went out and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and uh, and that he had said these things to her. Amazing account of the, the post death burial. And I don't know if you, it's really hard to place yourself in their situation and their, like, the defeat they would have felt, perhaps. The, the, the agony, the confusion it would have been so confusing in those days. This was your Savior, this was the, the Lord, this is God. How is it that he, he's now in a tomb? He's gone. He's dead. Just grieving that fact. And, and what's interesting here is Mary returned to the tomb. She'd already been there and seen that he wasn't there. And then she returned again. Why was she there again? What, did she expect to see Jesus? And in what form? Just another body again? Maybe she was confused. Maybe it was a joke. Maybe she couldn't believe her eyes. Was she there again to maybe wrestle with her faith? Like, did I, did I believe falsely? Was I stooped? Like, did, did he lie to me? It was a friend. It was a man I, I loved. Like, where is he? And, and why, why is he not there now? A wrestling of her faith to think, is all this just in vain? All that I trusted in, is it, is it seriously gone? What has become of my, my faith? My Lord... Was she there? And what she had thought, all she had thought to be known to be true about Jesus, what was it now? Now it's just an empty tomb? It doesn't make any sense to her. We'll discover her reason for going back as we dig. But before we even get there, consider for yourself. Put yourself in her shoes. Going back to that tomb. Thinking, Jesus... Who, who you may be walked with for three years during his earthly ministry, like the disciples did, three years they spent with him, day in and day out. See the miracle and the power of God performed through him. He he did amazing things, right? amazing things, and yet they see him defeated. Right? He he got taken away, beaten, mocked, ridiculed, shamed, hung, crucified. Imagine even that, just the, the real struggle within your own heart. Like, how does this add up? I thought this was Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords, defeated. Your heart would have already been in a wretched spot. But now, Mary's gone to the tomb and it's empty. Where, where, where's the closure? What has happened in her own heart, this agony of this struggle of faith? In that moment. But you cannot help but see the strong emphasis in this passage of what she was experiencing. The fact that she was weeping or crying is noted for us four times in this passage. Uh, Twice in verse 11, and then when the angels asked her, Why are you weeping? And then when Jesus asked her, Why are you weeping? The fact that she was weeping, crying, is a real indication of a turmoil within her. A grief, a disbelief, a confusion. A confusion beyond just wondering what went wrong with your dinner. Confusion of the highest standard. She stood there, verse 11 says, Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look in the tomb. She was weeping. Tears of agony. Definitely not tears of joy. Pain. Was it the pain of the grief of still losing him and now where even is he? I I was going to to honor him and he's gone. So confusing. So it produced tears and, and struggle within her. And then there was two angels when she stooped in to look. There was two angels there you see in verse 12. Then she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lain, and one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Now you think about their question. It would make sense for her to be weeping if this was simply your friend who was dead is now missing and you're there to honor him and he's missing. You, you would be weeping in grief, in confusion. But this is almost partially a rebuke from the angels. Why are you weeping? You shouldn't be weeping. You should know what this is. You should know what's gone on here. He told you. Do you not believe him? Why are, why are you weeping? Like You shouldn't be crying. You should be rejoicing. Why are you crying? She said to them, They've taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they have laid him. She's had two concerns that she mentions to them, which teach us a lot about her thought process at the moment. She says there uh, in verse 12, or sorry, 13, they have taken him. They who? Who who does she assume had taken him? Was it the Romans and the guards that kind of made some trickery up and taken him away to do what? They have taken him. Was it the, the Jewish leaders? What would they have taken him for? And she says, they have taken my Lord. And Lord there is not the term for Savior, but Master. This is my Master. This is one whom I'm committed to and I love and I serve. They've taken Him. And I, she brings herself in, I'm confused. She says, I don't know where they have laid Him. I'm at a loss for where He is right now. This is the reason she gives for her grief and weeping. And I can't begin to imagine the immensity of her grief. The burden is so heavy on her heart. She shows up to her friend's grave, her her master's grave, the, the one who has just astounded her. She's been left in awe and wonder at him. And now she goes to his grave to pay respects and it's empty. Just days after the reeling of his death, she goes to his grave to show her respects and it's, it's an empty hole. Could you imagine the, the, the agony you'd be facing in that moment? You are, you're already a flesh-open wound in your heart from the grief, and yet now there's an empty grave before you. You don't even know where he is anymore. How are you supposed to pay your respects to him if he's not there? The, the, the hole's been dug out again. He's, he's gone, and someone's taken him. What are they taking him for? Did they take him to subject him to more shame? To put him on public display again? To mock him once more? What have they done with him? Why did they take his body? It's not being respected clearly. The agony in her heart towards Jesus, just simply on a horizontal, physical level of, you can't disrespect the dead like that. Where is he? Where is this one that I want to pay respects to? And now beyond that, The empty tomb was more than just the the confusion of a respect of a body that had been uh, crucified and died. Her faith has been utterly tried. Utterly tried. And and part of her uh, belief and disbelief is now tied up in this body. Which is very interesting. The eternal Son of God. God the Son. Has existed from eternity past. And incarnates in a baby. Lives for 33 years. And, and she probably met him along the way in, in those last three years. Maybe at the beginning when he was 30 or, or near the end. But it indicated that she knew him for a while. She was close to him. Near and dear to him. And here there's this Emptiness. Emptiness beyond the body, because this is the one she had learned to trust herself in. To love, to be vulnerable before, to come weeping before, confessing before. This is the one who knew her thoughts and her hearts, of her heart, the intentions of her mind. He knew her better than anyone. But this is one who was more than just a friend, more than just a loved one. This was to be the savior of the world. And she was trusting in that. She was believing in that. And as much as the crucifixion was confusing, if she had been listening to what Jesus had said, he said this is exactly what would take place. He would be led by the chief priests, that he would be crucified and put to death by them, and that he said in three days he would rebuild the temple. That he the, the build the, the building, the body would not matter, it wouldn't stay dead, it wouldn't rot, it wouldn't destroy, but would live. So now she's still assuming he's dead. She's not assuming he's alive because she says, they have taken my Lord. I don't know where they've laid him. He's still a, just a dead corpse to her. But now he's somewhere else being disrespected. So she's reeling in her disbelief still. So when the, uh, the question from the angels is, why are you weeping? It goes much deeper than just the fact that she is missing out on information her heart is still twisting within her. Her faith is being tried and tested like our faith is tried and tested at times. And and we wonder sometimes, where is Jesus? And it's not that you're thinking, where is he physically? How come I can't see him? How come I can't touch him? How come I can't hold on to him? We, by God's design, have never had that chance. And he said we are blessed because of that when he said it to Thomas. But here, we have struggles with faith too. Wondering, where is he? Has he failed me? Has he not held up to what he? I know him to be? There are times where you are confused in your faith. But nothing like Mary would have been. Nothing like this. And having said this to the angels there, verse 14 tells us. that she turned around. She, she sent somebody else there. Turned around. Eyes full of tears. She saw Jesus standing. But... She didn't know. Oh, that's interesting. She saw Jesus standing. Standing. Points out he was standing. Like it could have just said she saw Jesus. But she saw him standing. But she didn't know that it was Jesus. Was it because her eyes were so full of tears and so foggy that she just saw a man and said, oh, hey. Or was it that almost like the man on the roads, almost like other people who had seen Jesus, it was kind of like at first they wouldn't really recognize him. But yet he was there bodily in the flesh. And as, as we know from him appearing to the disciples. That he still had the wounds in, that, the, that he was crucified by. So how did she not know that it was him? And Jesus said to her, verse 15. Woman, why are you weeping? Again, the same question of the angels. Whom are you seeking? Knowing that you don't go to a grave just to have a picnic. She's seeking someone. She's looking for someone. He had heard her. She, he knew in her heart that she was seeking him. And there, verse 15 says, she thought he was the gardener, the guy taking care of the place. And perhaps the gardener had been given instructions to carry this body somewhere else. So she, Supposing him to be the gardener, verse 15 says, she said to him, Sir, out of respect, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. If you have carried him, she's still assuming this is a corpse. If you've carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. That's interesting. That would have been impossible. There's no way she could have taken him away. But yet, she's just utterly respectful in this moment. Sir, if this was the guy who had taken Jesus' body and it's like causing her to reel in her faith, she's quite respectful in her moment of grief and agony. Why, why is he gone? Where has he gone? Do you know? Have you seen? Did you see somebody take him? Did you yourself take him? Where is he? If, if you know where he is, just tell me. I want to see him again. I want to treat him well with respect. But you notice Jesus' kindness. He's kind. Even though he is rebuking her by saying, why are you weeping? It was gentle. It was a gentle rebuke, a gentle Correction: that she would have only realized in hindsight. Being asked why she was weeping, she wouldn't have even really put the two and two together that this was a, a lack of faith that he was pointing out in her, a, a, a disbelief in her heart. Why are you weeping? You should be rejoicing. If the tomb is empty, it's exactly as he said it would be. This is what was supposed to happen. This is what seals your pardon. This is what gives you hope and life. This is what shows that you are justified. This is what shows that he has defeated death. Why are you weeping? It's a pushback on her lack of faith. And the second question was Whom are you seeking? Who are you looking for? Don Carson, in his commentary, says this, when he asks, who are you seeking, becomes an invitation to reflect on the kind of Messiah she was expecting. What were you expecting? And thus, to widen her horizons, to recognize that as grand as her devotion was, her estimate of him was still far too small, end quote. She was devoted, clearly. She was devoted to him. She was there, She loved him. There was no question about that. But her estimation of who Jesus was was far too small. Far too small. Did she not believe that he could raise? Did she not believe that he would raise? Did she believe that he lied? Her her estimation of who Jesus was and what he could accomplish was little. It was very little. She was of little faith in that regard. She was devoted. She had love. She had affection. But her devotion and her faith was weak. It was weak. She supposed this man to be the gardener. Have you seen Jesus, she says? Who has taken him? Have you taken him? Even though it was just a body, just a shell of who he was, she wanted him taken care of and respected because she was devoted to him. She loved him. She wanted him to have a proper burial But even this gardener, as she was weeping, knew that it wasn't merely about a body. Of course, she was paralyzed in thought until one word was uttered from the man who'd already spoken to her, asked her why she was weeping. She'd heard his voice already. Why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? He already said those words. She's just paralyzed. She just, she can't focus. She's not responding. She still doesn't think it's Jesus until one word is said, Mary. She's shaken out of her days, out of her weeping, out of her moment, where she's already heard this man talk. And the voice wasn't recognizable? No. It was that she was focused on this body until she, in that name call, knew that he was alive. Verse 16 says, Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned And said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher, it's you. You are alive. You're here. You're standing before me. She goes to cling to him. She goes to throw herself at his feet and cling to him. It's amazing. She'd heard his voice already. But when he called her name, she knew it was him. John 10, 3 and 4 says, The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. It wasn't necessarily about the voice, was it? It was about the, what was behind the voice, the person. As soon as she knew who the person was, she heard his voice, she heard him call her name as he had many times before Mary. Ah familiarity, comfort. That voice that had comforted her so many times, that voice that had told her about forgiveness, about love, about grace, the voice that had said, come, come, find rest in me. Mary, come. She hears her name by his voice. She turns and she is. Tears have turned to tears of joy. Take that in for a moment, the shift of emotion in her, right? Despair turns to delight. And a weeping turns into worship. Her crying turns into clinging. She's now clinging to Jesus' feet. I don't want to let him go again. Is this real? She's clinging to him. Her Imagine what had happened in her faith in that moment, right? Maybe a faith that had been really... Wavering, I know mine would have been. Had he died, and I would have been really confused. And then even to not know where his body was. Like, is he actually risen? Is he with the Father already? Is he not? Just a real turmoil of faith, I think. Imagine what happened to her faith in that moment. It went from a dim, flickering amber to a blazing fire. Like, it is true. He is here. He is risen. He is alive. He is who he said he was. He is the Savior. I am forgiven. He is real. Jesus said to her in verse 17, Don't cling to me, for I have yet to ascend to the Father. Like This isn't my permanent body. Don't try to just hold on to my body. Don't just try to hang on to me here and now. Don't let your clinging be only physical. I am going to the Father, and I want you to cling to me in your devotion, in your affection, and in your faith. Don't cling to me here and now, but you need to go and you need to tell the brothers, tell my brothers, the disciples, that I'm ascending to the father, your father, to my God and your God. He, he puts himself on the level with them, right? He, he's showing again his the, the co-heirness of the inheritance, saying, my brothers, our father. He's reminding her and them of now their union with him. That everything that belongs to him as an heir of God the Father is now theirs with him. So Mary, probably wanting to hang on to his feet and never let go again. Mary, probably never wanting to leave that moment of joy and resound, she obeys. Verse 18 says, So Mary Magling went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. I've seen him. And, and she, said, she told them what he had said. I have seen him and I have heard him. You know, their response was, are you sure? Like, are you for real? Their faith was still reeling. Their hearts were still twisted. They were still in agony, wondering how all of this could have happened. We tried to prevent this. Peter tried to prevent it, right? And Jesus rebuked him. The whole going to Jerusalem and being crucified. Mary had obeyed Jesus even though she wouldn't have wanted to. She wanted to stay with him forever. I know why I would have. She went, as she was told, and she declared to others, Jesus is alive. I have seen him. I have heard him. I have experienced Jesus. And today, you and I... Have the same commission. He tells us, as he's told his disciples, go into all the nations, go, beginning with your nation, beginning with your family, your neighbors, your community, go, go and tell. It's exactly what he said to Mary go and tell. You've seen me, you've heard me, you know I'm risen, you know the power of God at work right now, so go and tell. We have the same commission. Go and tell. You've seen the Lord. And that's the hard thing for us, right? I've, I've had conversations with friends of mine. And he said, I have a friend of mine, Sean, and he said, if I could see Jesus right here, right now, in this restaurant, I would believe him. I said, no, you wouldn't. This seeing is a seeing with the eyes of the heart. It's the eyes of faith. It's, it's trusting in faith that what you have seen and experienced and known is true. I have seen and I have heard. Jesus has called my name and it awoke me, it shook me alive. He called my name and I have responded. He said my name and I have turned my weeping about my sin and my agony and my own uh, path towards unrighteousness. My life as it was without Jesus calling my name was despair. When he called my name, he turned it into delight, just as he did with Mary. Faith that has now become sight. Your faith and my faith, even though we don't see now with our physical eyes, we will see. But the beautiful thing is just like how people say, well, if I could see God, I'd believe him. We can see the effects of God, like you can see the effects of wind, you can see the effects of love. Love you cannot hold in your hands, but you can see and know it's real because you see its effects. The same thing as we see the effect of Jesus on lives and on our own lives. And, and, and others, when you go and tell them, they can see that effect too. See what Jesus has done for me. He has called me out. He has forgiven me when I did not deserve it. He has loved me, although I'm unlovable. He has held me tight when I push him away. And they see that. And they hear from you what you have experienced in the Lord Jesus. We have the same Agony that Mary had, real um, twist of faith, even sometimes in our own faith journeys. But we hear Christ say our name. That's why it's so important to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. Yes, you can reel and cry and weep about your own sin or your situation, but then you preach the gospel. It says, He called to me. He called me by name. And He said, Come and find rest, come and find forgiveness. You are in me, you are forgiven, and there's no condemnation. We, we preach that to ourselves every day so we can hear him say our name. So that our faith can be turned into a greater, stronger faith. Romans 10, we know, says faith comes by hearing the word of Christ. We hear the Bible, we read the word, and it, it calls our name every time. It, it encourages our faith, it, it inflames our faith. So then the question could be asked of us, why are you weeping? Why are you weeping? And that's a really good question. There are adamant reasons, good reasons to weep. When you lose a loved one, when you are in physical suffering and pain, there is real weeping that happens. When you see children being abused, when you hear of children being ripped from wombs, we should weep. When when a lost person refuses God again and again, we should weep. But when it comes to our faith in the Lord, the question can be asked, why are you weeping? Even in those situations, there is reason to be uh, agonized. But at the end of the day, is it perpetual or do you have faith? Is there an underlying faith that says, even though I am weeping, I still trust. I still believe that God is in this. God is above this. God is in control of this. He has got this, even though I don't understand it, even though I'm reeling, even though it makes no sense to me in this moment, God is all-powerful, and His power does not need to be seen the way I want to see it. Mary had what she thought in mind. She thought she was to see the body, and that would, what, calm her down? It wasn't what she needed. That would have made her faith futile useless god gave her exactly what she needed god gives us exactly what we need too. so when we're asked and we ask ourselves why do you weep or or why do you weep through the night or why do you keep on weeping go to the heart of it and, and wonder is there disbelief in me at all weeping is okay and it's good and and obviously more some people weep more than others it's it's important emotion jesus wept Weeping is not wrong. But the underlying faith sometimes could be in question, as it was with Mary. Is it a question of faith? The question you and I also have to face in this life is, why are we weeping? Even when we look around in situations that we don't understand, we don't understand when we're going to be out of this difficult season, why are you weeping about it? Don't you trust that God is in control? Why are we weeping? Don't we know that this is not all there is? That it's not about the body? It's not about the earth? It's about eternity? Let us then look. Have faith. Trust. Look up and hear uh, him call our name as we hear the gospel preached to ourselves. That we who are sinners, he calls us by name and says, come and be forgiven. Come and find life and hope and being. And we come. Come. And we cling to his feet. He says, don't hold on to just a physical idea. Don't hold on to an an, um, an event in your life. Don't, Don't think that that's what's got you saved, right? Don't hold on to your baptism. Don't hold on to the time you professed in faith. Don't hold on to the fact that you go to church. Don't hold on to a cross physically. All those things could go away, and they should not affect your faith. Don't cling to these things. Look where I am now. I'm with the Father, your God, my God. Why are you weeping? Look through the tears and see Jesus. See the risen Savior and rejoice. Always rejoice. Even though we weep, we rejoice. That's the resound of a Christian. There is much to weep about in this life. There is many agonizing things. But through the tears, we rejoice because we see Jesus. As Mary exclaimed, Rabboni, my teacher. As Thomas exclaimed, exclaimed, my Lord and my God, you look with faith and we believe. Let's pray. Well, God, we know that uh, you are all powerful. You're in control and we see your power on display in the resurrection of our Lord and Savior. It's amazing to think it is unimaginable. That Jesus, who was so brutally put to death, would live again. But of course he would. He said he would, and he never lies. And he has the power to do so. And you did it for us. So that death could no longer hold us. The grave could not keep him, and it will not keep us for eternity either. So we thank you. For all that you accomplished and the joy that it brings us, even through the tears and through the weeping, when we ask, why are we weeping? We can remember that this is just but for a moment, and we look through to the risen Savior, Christ our Lord. Thank you for him and all that he's accomplished and accomplishing for us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.